You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. Happy belated Mother's Day. Whether you're bio, birth, adoptive, step, grand, great-grand, foster, or honorary, or a sample platter, <laughs> some of the above, my mom was a grand step bio and honorary mom. Some of you are probably more than one kind of mom. Happy Mother's Day to you, whatever kind of mom you are. I was thinking about Mother's Day on an airplane on Sunday, on Mother's Day, as I sat with my phone in my hands, texting with my son's mother, wishing her a happy Mother's Day. And... Then when the plane took off, I got out the dead tree copy of the New York Times and loved it. Loved. I, I'm a big fan of the New York Times, but a subscriber forever. Uh, but I, I love being on an airplane with the New York Times with, or with any paper or with a book because there's no Wi-Fi or I'm not willing to pay for the fucking Wi-Fi. And suddenly you are reading like you used to read before the internet and cell phones and Twitter came along and ate your brain or ate my brain. Now I read a paragraph or a sentence in a book or a newspaper and then look at my Twitter feed. I read another paragraph, look at my Twitter feed. But up in the air, I turn my phone off and I just devour the paper. And this Sunday on Mother's Day, as every Sunday, I start with the style section because I am a cocksucker. And I read Philip Gillane's column, Social Cues, which I love. Philip, please come on the Savage Lovecast sometime for second opinion. Philip's Advice column, Social Cues is terrific. I hope you're all reading it. And then I flipped to Modern Love, which is a huge and beloved column in the New York Times uh, that features a different writer every week writing about, guess what, Modern Love. And this week on Mother's Day, it was an essay by a gay man about Mother's Day. And it's about a gay parent on Mother's Day writing about Mother's Day. And in this column by David Beach, uh, there was this. Sadie, his daughter, has two fathers. Most people get it when I say she has two daddies. Others persist asking, no, but who is her mom? With the rabbis, I finally just said, I'm her mom. This response has silenced women in elevators, nannies on playgrounds, and bureaucratic clerks in charge of postponing jury duty. That question no, but who's her mom? I've gotten that question, or I used to get that question. When my son was very young, when he was an infant or a toddler, and I would be out with him, usually in a baby backpack because I just couldn't deal with a stroller, and I wasn't with Terry, or even sometimes when I was with Terry, people would walk right up to him sometimes, look right at him, and ask him that question, even before he was able to answer it for himself. They would ask him that question and then turn to me for the answer. Oh, you're so cute. Where's your mommy? And then they'd look at me, and I would tell them where his mommy was. His mommy was in Oregon and she couldn't take care of him. And she did absolutely the right and loving thing and did an adoption. And me and my husband or my boyfriend, I used to call him at the time, we adopted. So this kid has two dads, also a mom, but has two dads. The question actually would get asked of me a lot. And I think it gets asked of a lot of gay parents, gay male parents, a lot. A lesbian out with her kid, no one's going to say, where's your mom? They think, Here's your mom. They might ask, where's the daddy? But a kid, you know, a gay guy out with a kid or a man out with a kid, people, where's your mom? And the question comes pretty frequently. You get asked that question a lot. And I can see how it might get on some 
gay parents' nerves after a while, being asked that question all the time. I think, though, that this is the wrong response. And I don't want to come down too hard on David Beach. It's actually a really terrific essay that focuses mostly on David Beach's relationship with his own mother uh, and their kind of neurotic codependent relationship. And I don't want to come down too hard on David Beach. But I do want to come down hard on other gay men who I have seen on TV or heard, interviewed on the radio or spoken to in person who when asked this question – in one case, there's this guy who's on television being interviewed about being a gay parent and – They asked, the host asked, uh, what does he says when people ask where the mommy is? And he said, I just look at them and snap, there is no mommy. And I'm sitting there at home with my kid watching, thinking, "There, you know what, faggot, there is a mommy. Unless you have a cast iron uterus from Crate and Barrel in your basement where you whip that kid up, there's there's a mommy somewhere. You couldn't be a gay male parent without somebody Stepping up and playing that role, being the mommy, gestating that child, with the exception, of course, of trans gay male parents, some of whom have given birth to their own children, asterisk, and call out and shout out. Don't want to make you guys feel invisible. You're there too. But for most gay men who are parents, particularly all gay men who are adoptive parents, there was a woman. There was a mom. Your kid has a mom. And I don't think that we should deny the existences of our children's mothers or be angry when we're asked after our children's mothers. I think people are curious about how our families come together. You know, when when someone sees a straight couple or an opposite sex couple, maybe they're not both straight, but they see an opposite sex couple with a kid and they go, okay, they know how that happened. And maybe it was a lot more complicated than they assume. Maybe there was IVF treatments for years and a long struggle, maybe even a surrogacy. But they kind of know how that family came to be. When they see two men with a child, a gay male couple with a child, they wonder how that happened. How did that family come to be? And I don't think that curiosity is in all cases and at all times malicious. Sometimes I think it's just a genuine desire to know and understand. And I think that it's in our own best interests as gay couples – to answer the question, to satisfy people's curiosity, in part to help put an end to that curiosity so that the culture comes to be familiar with us and our families and how they come together and how they exist. So maybe in a generation or two, people aren't asking this question anymore of the gay parents that they're going to encounter 20 years from now or 30 years from now. But right now, while same-sex parenting is still a relatively new phenomenon, maybe we should just Answer the question, as annoying as it can be, even if it's not asked maliciously. Sometimes it's asked frequently. There were times when I was out with my son when he was an infant where I would get this question three times or four times in one supermarket. Lovely little old ladies. Love, they love the babies. They want to come talk to you when you have a little baby. And they would all ask, where's, the, where's your mommy? And I would answer, mommy's in Oregon. She's a wonderful person, did the right thing by this kid who has two dads. Mommy picked us to be his dads. And sometimes people's eyes would go wide because this was new, particularly 18 plus years ago when this shit was happening to me. But that helped them to understand and maybe they went back to the old folks home and told all their friends about it. And then their friends knew that gay male parents were a thing. So on this Tuesday after Mother's Day, I want to wish a happy Mother's Day out there. To all the moms, 
including the daddy mommies, including the gay men who sometimes say, I'm the mom, which I think can be a lovely way of honoring the people who traditionally played this role of the stay-at-home parent, was the mom. So to say I'm the mom is to wink at that long tradition and honor it and show some respect for it in kind of a bank-shot, snarky, gay, campy way. But what we shouldn't say is there is no mommy because our kids have mothers. And without those mothers, guys, gay guys, gay parents like me, we would not be fathers. All right, coming up on today's show, Anna Pulley is here to help me field some lesbian questions and tons of your calls all on today's show. Hi, I'm a cisgendered male in South Dakota, and I just went to a concert in our small town, and I ran into one of my old friends who's gay. When I got drunk a few times ago, we made out a little bit, and I also kissed a few of my roommates in front of him, and, like, that's just a game my roommates and I played, and not trying to mess with them or anything. My roommates and I would kiss every now and then, and he was groping me the entire concert, and I kept telling him to go away and stop. Eventually, I just held up my arm and said, no, stop, go away. I No, I said no. And I don't know if that's too harsh. He's a really nice guy, and I've talked to him when we're sober, and I kind of feel bad, but not really, and I'm not sure what to think about it. You shouldn't feel bad. He should feel bad. I hope he does feel bad, and I hope you've confronted him about what happened that night. He was drunk and out of control and was groping you. He was violating you, and he didn't take gentle no's for an answer, and eventually you had to stiff arm him and give him a firm and unambiguous and loud and hopefully for him embarrassing no that broke through, and you have nothing to feel bad about. Nothing homophobic going on here. The assumptions that he made about his right to put his hands all over your body based on perhaps interactions you had at college or things he saw you do in college, guys he saw you kiss, that's bullshit and nothing that gives him license. I'm gay as guys get and that wouldn't have given him the right to put his hands all over me. Even if he assumes you're a little bit gay or maybe you wanted him because you made out with him once, you don't want him now and you made that clear and he continued to put his hands all over you, which he shouldn't have done even in the first place. So no, you have nothing to feel bad about. He has something to feel bad about. What should you think about it? You should think you were violated by a drunk asshole. And if you want to stay friends with that person because when he's not drunk, he's not an asshole, you should have a conversation with him about what an asshole he was when he was drunk. And advise him to maybe think about drinking less or to recognize, to work to recognize, even when he is drunk, that not every guy who's ever kissed him or made out with him or touched another guy or not every guy that he wants to touch wants to be touched by him and he doesn't have a right to touch all those guys. Topping the list of all those guys he doesn't have a right to touch? You. And if you don't get a heartfelt apology from him, an abject apology from him, that you, using your judgment and your powers of observation, determined to be absolutely sincere, don't hang out with this guy anymore, ever. You are not obligated. Hi, Dan. Uh, hey, this is a 37-year-old single, straight female um, living in Seattle. I ended a four-year relationship about a year ago, and um, it ended, you know, kind of just didn't work out. We didn't want the same things. And 
come about a month ago, I found out from a mutual friend who was having a terrible time keeping the secret that he had been um, cheating the whole time, pretty much from really from the beginning. But she had described to me an article that she had read about gaslighting as a term of a type of emotional abuse. And I had never heard of this term before, gaslighting. And I've looked into it, and I'm really surprised by how how accurate it is with my experience with this ex of mine of, you know, me kind of being not a normally suspicious person, but had been very suspicious with him. You know, his phone was always, you know, off limits to me and it kind of made me feel weird. And I was uncomfortable with some of the interactions that I had seen with him and other females. And um, anytime that I had raised concern about this, it got blown up into really a, 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 an emotionally charged, angry reaction from him of how dare I and why don't I trust him. And, um, you know, as the relationship progressed, it really turned into things as like me just totally, totally ignoring my intuition and really obvious signs of something being amiss. But I for whatever reason, decided to believe him. But I'm I'm struggling right now with this new information and kind of putting this new term of gaslighting as kind of a thing that I have been subject to. I'm curious if you have any insight on this condition or this type of emotional abuse or the situation that um, I don't really know much about except for what I've been poking around on the internet and finding. So you wanted my feelings or insights into gaslighting? Yeah, well, I had just, I had never, ever heard of it before. Mm-hmm. So until I kind of, um, you know, I had a, a friend. So I, my, my whole story is that I was with my ex-boyfriend for, you know, we were together for almost four years and had been casual kind of before that. And he was cheating on you the whole and, time. and. Uh, and I, I, I have two questions, really, I wanted to ask you quickly yeah. before we get to the subject of gaslighting. So you had been broken up with this dirtbag for a year, right? The relationship was a yeah. year in the past. Why did your friend yeah. come feel she needed to fill you in on what had been going on that whole time? Were you hung up on your boyfriend? Were you grieving still for the relationship and she wanted you to know that it wasn't what you thought it was? Or did she just find this information and came running? So I think um, – so the answer, she didn't know, but I mean, yes, I was still grieving the relationship. I'm slow to heal. I still loved him. I still was missing him. And we were still kind of not seeing each other, but still, you know, texting. I miss you, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, so you did need and, to know this. You needed to know what was going on because you didn't. I'm glad I know. You were grieving yeah. for a fiction. Yes. Yeah. For a version of a person that just was not real. Right. I think gaslighting yeah. may be a little grand of a term for what was going on, not because you weren't necessarily being gaslit, but what he was doing was such a common strategy for cheaters. You know, technically, gaslighting, a form of mental abuse in which a victim is manipulated into doubting his or her own memory, perception, and sanity. He was clearly manipulating you through these angry outbursts into doubting your own perceptions, your own intuition, as you say. And so, yeah, you were kind of being gaslit, but this the best offense is a good defense shit is so common when people are cheaters that they just react with anger and indignation at the suggestion that they could do this, which is a classic non-denial denial. 
You know, I can't believe right. you would think that of me is not the same as I haven't right. and I wouldn't. And here, do you want to look through my phone? Well, it, I mean, it was in the sense, I mean, it was definitely denial. He denied it mm-hmm. and was upset. And um, I, mean, I guess the part the part that, that went through for me, at least about the gaslighting portion of it was that, you know, like we didn't, we never lived together. And at one point he had, you know, his mother had lived in his basement and he had some friends that were moving in from out of town, lived in his basement. And so there was one morning where I hadn't been over the night before. And I was talking to the girl that was staying in his basement. It was a married husband and wife. And she said, Oh, I, mean, I heard you guys last night and it sounded like you guys were having so much fun. And you know, what were you doing? And I said to her, like, I, I wasn't here last night. And, <laughs> and when I talked he, to him about it... Yeah, I'm curious to know how he explained that away. He, it was the TV, and I don't know what she thought she heard. Maybe she was dreaming. It wasn't me. Nobody was here. I was fucking the shit out of the TV. It's pretty loud when you uh, fuck the TV. When you throw well, a TV yeah, around I, the room and pound it, my God, that makes a racket. Yes, and I don't know if it was that, you know? I mean, I don't know if it, I mean, she didn't say sounded like you guys were having hot sex last night. I mean, it wasn't that kind of a thing, but like definitely she thought that she had heard me up there. Okay, so but in the four years you were together, you never lived together, but you did have an explicit monogamous commitment going. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And by him saying so. Yeah. Okay. So you got cheated on. That happens. It's happened to a lot of people. You were with a serial cheater because it sounds like he cheated on you a bunch of women. He's not who you thought he was and he's not the person that he pretended to be. And now that you know that, like, thank God the relationship's over. Thank God it's a year in the past and not 10 minutes in the past. And you can stop grieving for him because he wasn't who you thought he was. Yeah. And, you know, you can, you know, we can talk about gaslighting as a thing, as a phenomena. It it, it exists. You were gaslit. Obviously, you know, he manipulated your perceptions and got you to doubt your own intuition through his indignation and manipulating you with, you know – implied violence in a way, you know, his anger and rage at the insinuation that he might be doing exactly what he was doing. And so the question for you now is going forward, having had this experience, what do you do? Because you don't want to be a hyper suspicious, untrusting nut in your next relationship who's constantly demanding reassurances from the guy you're with now because the guy you were with then was lying to you. And that's not fair or won't be fair to the guy you're with now or the guy you're with in the future. If you're constantly punishing and regulating or monitoring him because your previous boyfriend was a shitbag. Right. So you do have to will yourself to trust again. Yeah. Well, which is kind of, it's kind of the hard part because I mean, this whole thing, and even when I was with this ex, like I've, I've never been that girl, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, let's be friends with your ex. And let's, you know, like even with this dude, like, I mean, there were lots of girls that I knew that he'd been with before we'd run into him. And not like, I was nice to him and sweet to him. And you know what I mean? Like it was never, and you should keep being that way. You should keep, you know, that speaks, you know, I've often held that up as evidence that somebody might be a good boyfriend or good girlfriend. If they're on good terms with their exes, right. Maybe his exes don't know what he did. If he indeed cheated on them too, or maybe he, you're the only girlfriend he's ever cheated on before. Which is no, well, and I don't think that these were like monogamous exes with him either. Like it was people that he'd had, you know, hookups with. And, you know, he's a bartender, so it was kind of, you know, bar scene kind <laughs> oh, of wait, stuff. And wait, shit wait, happens. Wait, and... wait, wait. You were dating a bartender and you thought he wasn't cheating on you? <laughs> I know. I know. I don't want he to traffic in cliches and... about bartenders, but sometimes cliches are cliches because there's a grain of truth. There's stereotypes. For a reason. Yeah. I, I wouldn't date a bartender without expecting to be cheated on three or four times a week. 
I'm never going to, yeah, because I, I just can't, you know, it's just, I, yeah, maybe I don't we, like to watch him flirt for his money. I don't like, yeah, I don't. Maybe this don't, needs to be a term. Gaslighting is from a play from the 30s uh, about a man who right. drives his, tries to convince his wife that she's insane uh, by, you know, yeah. moving the furniture around and turning the, ga- turning the gas and the lights up and down and, and then denying. He was creeping around the attic, yeah. Right. Uh, so maybe we need a new term for the, the new millennia, millennium, which is maybe bartending. Instead of gaslighting. You, you got bartended, girl. Asshole. And I that, did. I got bartended by an asshole. And I'm, I, I'm looking forward to all the angry calls from faithful and monogamous bartenders, which we will, oh. we will play at the end of an upcoming show. A subsequent show. We will do. play all yeah. of those. There are good and faithful, loyal and true bartenders out there. But there's also I this stereotype it, but... out there because... Yeah, they they aren't the ones that wanted to date me. So, <laughs> okay, my advice to you is not to you know go to grad school and, and write a paper about gaslighting and not to obsess about this too much. Okay. Every, we've all had a shitty ex who cheated on us. You can scratch that off your fuck it list. It's done. And going forward, you now know to trust your intuition. Yeah. Trust but verify, as Ronald Reagan said. Trust but verify, which means trust your intuition. Listen to what the guy has to say. But maybe, maybe, uh, what's that word uh, that I get in trouble for? The, that thing that I sometimes get in trouble for endorsing? Snoop a little bit. That if you're, yeah, you know, see, if which I did. I mean, I had, I'd only checked his phone like once and found like a couple things that were just kind of uncomfortable before I, you know, like nothing like hard solid proof, just like you know, like naked pictures of girls kind of thing where who knows where he got him from. Mm-hmm. So, but deleted the entire strain of every single text message well, from every single person, which is, I have to, I have to leap in here for the straight guys out there in defense of their phones, because if women are going to assume that every straight guy with a naked picture of a girl on his phone is cheating, then that's going to lead to the end of every relationship, every opposite sex relationship in the country. Cause almost all straight guys, cheaters are not cheaters have pictures of naked ladies on their phones for ease of masturbation. I've got pictures, pictures of naked ladies on my phone and I wasn't cheating. So, it's, you know, <laughs> I mean, whatever. <laughs> so go forward, trust but verify. Don't obsess about this. Don't spend the next two years picking at this scab. Send him, mm-hmm. a, send him a nasty okay. note saying, I just found all this out. Fuck you for gaslighting me. Try not to be such an asshole in your future relationships. There are women out there who do not want monogamous commitments. Go find one of them. Instead of lying to women like me. And resolve, really make up your mind, not to take this out on your next boyfriend. Not to punish your next boyfriend for the sins of your previous boyfriend. Or your last boyfriend. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good advice. Good luck. Hi, my name is John. I'm a 30-year-old white straight cis male. Uh, I have a question about monogamy and class. In the course of my life, I've been astonished to hear story after story about this or that government official or this or that celebrity or this or that industry captain cheating on their spouse. It seems to happen a lot. We've now also learned uh, that all three House speakers who were prosecuting Bill Clinton for his extramarital sexual misconduct were simultaneously engaged in illicit sexual behavior of their own, albeit not always the healthy kind. And while sex work is highly criminalized for the working class, it is very obvious that sex workers are readily available to those who enjoy high wealth and status. The more I hear about sex scandals, the more questions I have about monogamy and class. Maybe when you have that much money and status, one can get whatever they want and personal connections are less important. So maybe the, the wealthy and the powerful just cheat on each other more and get hurt more. 
Or maybe the media just loves a good sex scandal, so it becomes overreported. But lately, I've been thinking something different. Maybe the 1% don't give two shits about monogamy, save for the times when the public finds out about their extramarital activity and expects them to act all guilty about it. Oh, what a headache. And if the latter is really true, it really begs the question, is monogamy a form of social control like religion? a pie-in-the-sky expectation of virtue and purity in which the lower and middle classes spend their whole lives trying to attain, yet the rich know is utter bullshit. Are the 1% less monogamous than the 99%? Yeah, no. When a dentist gets caught up in a sex scandal, when his wife finds out that he's cheating on him, it's not going to make the cover of Us magazine. It's not going to make the front page of the New York Times. An independent prosecutor is not going to pry out all of the details and they're not going to, the dentist association, impeach that fucking dentist. So your sample is skewed. Celebrities, politicians, titans of industry, we will hear about their affairs because we hear about everything fucking else about them. Of course we hear about their affairs. And their affairs make the news and the affairs of the 99% typically don't make the news. So I don't think Monogamy is a 1% versus the 99% issue. I do think the idealization of monogamy, the misdefinition or miscentering of monogamy, the holding up of monogamy as the golden standard by which relationships are assessed or judged uh, is a form of social control. I think you're on to something there because monogamous behavior – monogamy successfully executed over the course of a multi-decade relationship is a benchmark we're all going to fall short of. Almost all relationships are going to fall short of. So it does kind of exist as an engine that makes people feel terrible and like failures and creates a lot of business for confessors and divorce lawyers. And again, circling back to your point, there is often the gulf between what someone like Newt Gingrich says and what someone like Newt Gingrich does. Newt Gingrich was, of course, the Speaker of the House for a time and led the charge against Bill Clinton and condemned Bill Clinton for his extramarital affairs. At the time, of course, he was married to his second wife that he had cheated on his first wife with, and he was cheating on his second wife at the time with the woman who had become his third wife. And that makes Newt Gingrich just another screw-as-I-say-not-as-I-screw public moralist. But I don't think that's about the 99% or the 1% because you can find those screw as I say, not as I screw moralists everywhere, not just in Congress, not just on the covers of magazines, not just at the in the Fortune 500 CEO suite. You can find them in your local parish. You can find them at your corner bar. You can find them in your own family. So yeah, no, I disagree. I don't think this is a 1% versus the 99% issue. I think a lot of things are 1% versus the 99%, but what people are doing with their genitals isn't one of them. Hi, Dan. So this is an interesting question. It's uh, not really a problem. It's just I'm curious about something, uh, and I'm going to torture you with it. <laughs> so have you heard of the band One Direction? Okay, so yeah, maybe you wish you hadn't heard of them. But anyway, so there's five guys, right? And of course, you know, crazy uh, attraction to the ladies. But there's also this thing going on whether they might be gay or bisexual. It doesn't really matter. But it's interesting to watch, to see 
if you can pick up whether they're just goofing around to get the attention of people and have the controversy around them. It just seems to me that that's just way too much that it to be, you know, strictly straight and just playing around. I mean, they're doing it constantly. So here's the thing. You got to go on YouTube and you got to take a look. There's five guys, right? Harry, uh, Liam, uh, Zane, Niall, and Lewis. So what do you think? Are these guys by? <laughs> it would be great if they were, you know, because as you say, we need to come out of our box. But uh, yeah, I think they are. I, I don't think they're playing, but maybe they are. Maybe my gaydar's off. You tell me. Am I familiar with One Direction? Of course I'm familiar with One Direction. I've turned on the TV in the last 10 years. I'm also familiar with Take That, which was One Direction 15 years ago. What's going on with them? Obviously, I I don't know if they're gay or bi. Harry Styles, I think it would be great if he were gay or bi because I loved shaggy-haired boys, always have. And he is the reigning shaggy-haired boy in pop culture at the moment. I want more shaggy-haired boys out there and there's nothing I like better than a shaggy-haired boy that's into boys. Whether he's gay or bi, I have no idea. Obviously, One Direction is comfortable with homoeroticism and with hinting at being gay or bi and that not just to attract gay fans, although they're also doing that, but because that appeals increasingly to young women. Maybe you're familiar with yaoi. It's a subgenre of manja, which are Japanese comic slash graphic novels. And in yaoi, there are these stories that are about young pretty boys falling in love with each other. And these are cranked out in Japan by the thousands and the readership, the targeted readers, are not gay boys or gay men. The targeted readers, the people who buy these yaoi comics, are young straight girls who want to see these pretty boys fall in love and make out with each other. And apparently this phenomenon has crossed now from Japan to other cultures. And I think what you see now with One Direction is a little bit of that yaoi magic that some of their fans are into the idea or attracted to the idea or fantasize about not one of the guys in One Direction being their boyfriend, but some of the guys in One Direction being each other's boyfriends. None of this answers your question, though. You're asking me to watch their videos, and I've seen some, and asking me which ones are gay or if they're all gay. And I don't know. I assume that at least one of them is gay because it seems that every big boy band, once they've peaked and they are no longer the it boy band at least one guy ends up coming out as gay in the end which one directioner is going to be the guy who comes out as gay i have no idea but i look forward to seeing one of them on the cover of the advocate in the future when they do come out as gay hey dan so i'm a mid-20s guy from chicago and I just got some of the best news of my life in that I will be, I matched into a residency in Chicago. This is a really big deal because my girlfriend of over three and a half years, who I met in medical school, is about to finish her first year of a residency in Chicago, meaning that we don't have to try to make the long distance thing work during an incredibly busy time in our life. So since the beginning, sexual compatibility uh, and satisfaction has never really been a problem. Uh, medical school is really a busy time and everything, but we've always been able to make it work. Um, there's obviously the usual ebbs and flow when it comes to that, but if anything, we were always able to 
focus on quality over quantity when things got stretched a little thin. Anyways, my question is that while we're super excited that we won't have to try to make a long-distance thing work, um, we're a little apprehensive about the fact that now both of us are going to be busier than we've ever been. And it's generally worked out because she's the a year ahead of me in school and everything that um, the when one person's been busy, the other person's had it probably a little less busy. So I guess my question is, what advice do you have for a couple when both of them are going to be incredibly busy? You focused on quality over quantity when you were both pretty busy and then your girlfriend became hugely busy. Now you're both going to be hugely busy. And I think you should keep doing what you're doing. Focus on quality over quantity, but you're going to have to redefine quality and what you mean by quality, because you're probably going to both be completely exhausted. The quantity is going to drop, but then the quality of when you actually can make time in an exhausted state to fuck each other, what was quality before or what you regarded as a quality sexual encounter, you're probably not going to hit those heights right now in your exhausted states as you both go through your residencies. But if you redefine quality, if you tamp down your expectations – You'll nail it. You'll do it. Just say to each other before your residency starts that when you do find the time and the energy to get each other off, it's going to probably be a lot lazier and more relaxed, a lot more masturbating together than fucking, more laying back and taking it easy, less swinging from the chandeliers. And then when you guys only are getting off because you're – falling into bed and spending 10 minutes masturbating together or masturbating each other. And then all that masturbating will seem like quality. It'll seem like what you were aiming for. It will match your expectations. It won't fall short. And then those moments when you are finding yourselves ramping up to swinging from the chandeliers, when the masturbation explodes, when you find untapped reserves of energy that neither of you knew you had, you'll be delighted by the bonus. You won't be disappointed in the masturbation and the easy sex that is probably most of the sex you guys are going to be having over the next few years. Good luck. All right, we're going to take a quick break from your calls. There are, as we have said before, tons of sex researchers and scientists out there trying to figure out why we do or why we screw what we do and what we screw. And every once in a while, we like to have one of those researchers or one of those scientists on the show to discuss their most recent findings in a segment we call What You Got. Joining us today by phone, Leah Segay. She's a PhD student in sexology at the University of Quebec in Montreal. Hey, Leah, thank you for jumping on the phone. Hi. So what do you got? Okay, so um, a few years ago, I did a study investigating men's motivations for pretending orgasm with their current relationship partners and how those motivations have um, any impact whatsoever on levels of sexual desire and sexual and relationship satisfaction. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Backing uh, up. You're talking about men faking <laughs> orgasms, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Isn't there a little evidentiary problem with that? Since, you know, a woman can fake a climax and it's kind of hard for a guy to tell whether she's faking or not because there isn't – for most women, there isn't ejaculate, there isn't spooge. But a guy, when he comes, there's come. How is it possible for guys to <laughs> fake their orgasms? Uh, well, I actually did not investigate how men fake orgasms in my study, but um, 
actually, to my knowledge, there's only one study that did examine this, um, and I do cite it in my own. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, for one thing, it's it's easier if the guy is wearing a condom, for one thing. So the, the sex is over, he can just throw out the condom, and um, hopefully, and normally, I guess, the woman or his partner is not going to check if there's any... Um, <laughs> She's not going to go inspect evidence. the condom. <laughs> Okay, so this is a, this is a lie. This is a ruse facilitated by condoms in most cases. Okay, so what uh, in some cases, yes. So what were you looking at in your study? What did you find? Okay, so overall, actually, men um, the most um, reported reason for pretending orgasm was just to um, let uh, well make their partners think that you know they get they did, they did a good job and boost their self esteem. Um, basically, just to make them feel good about themselves. Uh, or actually to simulate um, the idea of the simultaneous orgasm, so the, the golden standard of of sex, I guess. <laughs> so. Those sound like the reasons that a lot of women fake their orgasms. That's typically what you hear. They want to make the guy feel like he's doing a good job, or they want to boost his ego. That's true. Yep. So actually, I was kind of surprised to find that, but it turns out it's there are, I guess, fewer um, gender differences when it comes to motivations to fake orgasms. And so what was the other reason? You said the least cited reason? Right. Um, uh, so the least cited reason was actually because the, the sex wasn't very good or their partners were inexperienced or uh, they regretted their choice of partner. That last one was kind of surprising um, because uh, in my sample, everybody was in a relationship of some sort, of, of a committed relationship. So there, there was no instances of casual sex or one-night stands and whatnot. So... That was really surprising to me and, and a, a bit sad. So guys were faking but, orgasms with long-term partners that they wished they weren't with. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but it was a least cited reason. So it's, you know, on, that's the bright side, I guess. Yeah, well, that is a very sad reason <laughs> to be faking an orgasm. Um, I, I'm curious if you found, when, when we talk to women about faking orgasms, uh, and, you know, people talk about that topic, about women faking orgasms, a lot of women are under a lot of pressure to come the right way, to come from vaginal intercourse. That this is the way, you know, mm-hmm. your dumb boyfriends, all of his other girlfriends could come from just me fucking them. And guys have these, you know, <laughs> crazy misperceptions of their own prowess or or the, you know, power of PIV intercourse to get a woman off, when in reality most women can't get off from PIV intercourse alone. But women are under a lot of pressure to be normal, even though that's not normal, to come from that. Mm-hmm. Is there an analogous reason guys might fake their orgasms where they're expected to love this or be able to do this and it's not what works for them and they fake it so they don't get shamed by their girlfriends in the way so many women are shamed by their boyfriends? Or is that just not at play here? Uh, I would I would think that it is at least a little bit because, um, well, there is this idea that uh, men's sexuality is much more simpler than, than women's. Um, that their orgasms are easily attainable um, and that it's normal for them to experience orgasm, especially during um, vaginal sex. Mm-hmm. And so if, if a man, for whatever reason, um, is having uh, trouble reaching orgasm during vaginal sex, he could feel um, that it might um, make him look you know, less masculine or not as sexually adequate as what the cultural um, script is saying. So some men might be motivated to pretend orgasms for that. There's one guy I spoke to in all the years I've been doing this, only one guy I ever spoke with who was faking orgasms. And here is the reason he cited, or this is what he told me, this is what he shared with me, that mm-hmm. he would fake orgasms with new partners for a very long time because he couldn't come unless his nipples were being played with. 
And he was so ashamed of this or so embarrassed about it that he really had to trust a partner before he told her what he needed in order to really come. Because when he had earlier told some girlfriends this early on, they assumed he was gay, that he wouldn't need this nipple stimulation if he weren't gay, which is crazy and ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But that was my only encounter with somebody who was a self-professed or self-confessed male orgasm faker was there was this extra thing he needed that he was too shy to ask for, too embarrassed to ask for with a new partner. Any advice for him if he's still listening? Um, Well, I I would just say that I I really understand um, where he's coming from. I mean, uh, culturally, men are not supposed to have, you know, um, different or complex um, sexualities at all. So anything that deviates from the standard um, female vaginal sex is, is almost considered to be either kinky or gay or anything considered degrading um, for masculinity. So, uh, but I would just say, yes, trust your partner. But at the same time, it's, I think we should all try to shift our, um, the way that culturally we think about male sexuality, because we are all very complex. And as my study shows, male sexuality can be pretty complex as well, just as women's. Where can people who want to read the study find it? Um, it's actually published in the Journal of um, Sex and Relationship Therapy. Uh, so you can find that online, and it's uh, actually freely available, so anybody can download it. Leah Seguet, PhD student in sexology at the University of Quebec in Montreal, thank you so much for doing what you got with us today. It was a real pleasure talking with you. Thank you for having me. Hi. I had a question about relationships, but more friendships in terms of friendship breakups. So I just graduated, I graduated college and after several months, I'm starting to realize who is going to be a true friend to stick around and the friends that are going to be quickly fading. And just to fill in a little bit, I've been struggling a great deal with depression and anxiety lately. And for about the past two months, have not, has not, I haven't gone out of the house really besides to see my boyfriend. I've just been in a very weird place emotionally with my other relationships and have been experiencing an extreme amount of social anxiety. And because of that, I haven't seen my friends for about two months who live in my area still. Fast forward to now, and I'm now starting to reach out, and there's a particular friend who just seems very angry with me and has been very short with me via text, and I will just try to avoid my texts, and it's one of those things where I don't know how to go about doing this, how about how to go about addressing a large problem when the other person is totally ignoring you. And this isn't a relationship that I just want to throw away. We've been very close the past four years. So I guess my question for you is, how would you go about handling this type of situation with a friend who seems to be wanting to totally avoid you when you want to get together with them and explain yourself and explain what you're going through? How do you get them to sit down and listen to you without forcing them and forcing their hand because at that point they probably won't even want to listen to the words you say and they'll probably fall on deaf ears anyways or should I just give up on this relationship and understand that this is obviously a friendship that's not going to last both of us aren't willing to try sometimes friendships end 
just like relationships. Sometimes friendships are relationships and sometimes romantic relationships ends and sometimes friendship relationships end and this relationship may be ending. You can't force this friend of yours to meet up with you and sit down with you so that you can explain yourself to her and you don't need her to meet up with you to explain yourself to her. All you have to do is use your words and use your fingers to put those words across by sending her a letter or an email explaining where you were at and what was going on with you. You might want to also ask what was going on with her over the last two months. And you might strategically, not to be emotionally manipulative or anything, just to be empathetic and considerate, you might want to ask her if she's been struggling with anything for the last couple of months that you weren't able to be there for her and help her with as her friend because you were struggling with social anxiety and depression yourself. So you might want to ask after how she feels about your absence because maybe she needed you five weeks ago. And you weren't able to be there for her. And now that you're reaching out to her and perhaps expressing to her your need to have her back in your life, she's not feeling very sympathetic or as if she owes you anything because you weren't able to be there for her and now she's not feeling obligated to be there for you. So put it in a letter and send it to her. People don't have to meet with you face to face for you to explain yourself and people that you've been legitimate reasons absent from their lives for a few months may not be that excited to get together with you initially. So put it in a letter and send it to her. Hey, Dan, 33-year-old lesbian here in a almost seven-year long-term relationship. Um, I have a question about reciprocating sex. So my girlfriend, I often reciproc- start, start the sex and, um, you know, it goes on for a long time until she either orgasms or doesn't orgasm. And um, what happens is she often, often does not reciprocate unless she's asked, unless she asks me if I want something back. And um, you know, you know, we'll be finished, and she'll be like, "Well, do, do you want to be fucked, or can I do something for you?" And I kind of always want the assumption to be that I want to be fucked, and I've told her that, um, but yet she still asks. And I think what she's doing is being passive about it. I think what she's really trying to say in those moments are. I'm too tired to fuck you back, or I don't really want to fuck you back, but I will if you want me to. And, you know, I kind of want her to just want it. I don't want to always have to say yes or or ask for it, because then I feel guilty, because then I'm like, oh, she actually doesn't really want it, and here I am, you know, asking her for it. So what what can I do? Like, I've talked to her about it, and I kind of just want sex to happen really naturally. I, I want her to just fuck me back and, and want to fuck me and, and not to have to have a conversation about it. Unless of course I say, I don't need anything. So do you have any advice or tips on this? Joining me by phone to help answer this question, Anna Pulley. She's the author of the recently released Lesbian Sex Haiku book with cats. Her work has appeared in New York Magazine and Mother Jones on BuzzFeed and Alternet, The Toast and Salon. You can read Anna's advice column in the Chicago Tribune's Red Eye and at AfterEllen.com. Hey, Anna, thanks for jumping on the phone. Hey, thanks so much for having me. So this poor woman, seven years into this relationship, she initiates all the sex. She goes first. She gets her partner off. And then her partner, having just been gotten off, is like, you want to get off too? What should she do? So that, I really hope, has not been happening the entire seven years that they've been in their relationship. Uh, um, I hope this is a recent phenomenon, in other words. But I think that what's really happening is something contextual. And I think that the girlfriend needs to talk to her partner outside of the bedroom 
to find out what's really going on here. Like, is it laziness? Is it that, you know, they're fucking at night and she just gets tired or she gets, you know, orgasm brain where she just wants to go to sleep afterward? Is is she really a pillow princess? Like, what's going on here? And I know that her partner has sort of tried to talk to her about it and been like, yes, we need to... Uh, you need to actually care about fucking me back, which I think is something that a lot of us can agree is what we want from our partners. For folks out there who aren't familiar with the term, I know it's a term in lesbian land. Define pillow princess. So it is someone who wants to basically not do any of the work. They want to get off, but they don't actually want to reciprocate that. They want to lie there and take it and, you know, that's, that's the that's the definition that I have been aware of. <laughs> Could is there a possible solution here? You, you know that definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. They keep doing the same thing, which is the caller initiates. She gets the girlfriend off first, then it's her turn. And maybe the partner, the girlfriend who just got off, has orgasm brain. Some people like to fall asleep right after their orgasm. Maybe they should shake things up by you know the caller can keep initiating. But maybe she gets off first. Maybe you shake that up. Not, I'm going to initiate, I'm going to get you off, and then you get me off. How about, I'm going to initiate, you get me off, and then I will get you off. Always having it be the other way around, where your girlfriend comes first. Obviously, your girlfriend isn't interested, as interested in sex after she comes. Maybe she'd be interested in getting you off if she hadn't come yet herself. Right, absolutely. I think that's a great point as well. And I think that it might be a habit at this point. Like, the girlfriend might just be used to how, you know, maybe this is the kind of sex they've been having for a long time. And so she's used to the sort of status quo. And if her girlfriend tries to chase it up and be like, you know what, I want to come first this time and then I'll get you off, then that might be a great solution to that problem. Hi, Dan. This is a 20-something woman in Portland. I recently kind of started seeing a girl, and she is awesome and amazing, and my first girlfriend, and I really like her. But up until now, I'd always identified as a street girl. Well, sort of. Um, I mean, I kind of always knew that I liked women, but I always felt like um, I had to be together with men up until now. So anyways, I'm just trying to... um, figure out my gay identity, I guess. And by the way, my girlfriend is trans also. So I was wondering if, like, you had any new lesbian advice for me. I don't know if there are any, like, major lesbian figures I should be aware of or movies or historic events or a rule book, that kind of thing. I definitely feel like... Maybe I'm behind the curve or something in discovering this about myself. And also, like, I don't want to be the lesbian who doesn't know anything about other lesbians. Okay, Anna, she needs to know about world historical lesbian events. So please fill us in on lesbian world wars, lesbian titanics, lesbian natural disasters. Go. Um, I love this question. I love that she's so earnest and so interested in exploring lesbian culture, and I heartily applaud her. Um, Her toaster oven is on the way, (laughs) which is a reference she probably will not understand, Uh, (laughs) but that's something she can Google, Um, or I'm happy to explain it as well. But I think that what 
I think that if I had like a welcoming kit for new lesbians, it would definitely include some of the following. It would include a pair of chucks, um, <laughs> the movie Bound. Yeah. Definitely the movie Bound. Probably Sarah Waters Tipping the Velvet, which is an amazing book. Um, and a copy of some kind of like home repair DVD, like for beginners. That's something that every lesbian needs. Um, and I think that probably the biggest thing with, with this, with this caller is that you're never going to get all the references. Um, and that's okay. Like, it's okay to be, uh, clueless when it comes to, when it comes to lesbian culture, because it's changing so rapidly. And my girlfriend, um, who illustrated the lesbian sex psycho book with cats. She didn't know who Ani DeFranco was for many years, which can get you stoned in some lesbian circles. So, um, <laughs> there are two books I want to add to. <laughs> there's two books I want to add uh, to your suggested reading list, which is Ruby Fruit Jungle by Rita Mae Brown and Oranges Are Not the Only Fruit by Jeanette Winterson. Yeah, I think those are required reading for brand new lesbians. Oh yeah, lesbian sex haiku book with cats is definitely a required reading as well. And uh, <laughs> that goes without saying. I think that you wouldn't be here if that weren't true. <laughs> um, well, there's so many references in the book as well, and I think that anything she doesn't understand, she can look up pretty easily and be like, "Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's the L word," and I need to I need to know why everyone hates Jenny Schechter from that show, so I can carry on in ninety percent of lesbian conversations. You should also know as you move into the lesbian community or if you're just coming out and you're gay that smart gay and lesbian and bi and trans people, we're aware that kids don't get exposed to a lot of gay or lesbian culture or gay or lesbian history growing up. So newly out people tend to arrive pretty ignorant of gay, lesbian, bi, trans culture and history. And so your ignorance isn't going to be held against you by people who aren't assholes. So if you don't get a reference and you ask for clarification and somebody blows up at you or shames you or scolds you, don't hang out with that person anymore. That person has just outed themselves to you as an asshole, and you should ignore them. <laughs> right, absolutely. And again, like it's, I think it's, the culture has really changed a lot in the last you know, five years. We're seeing a lot more of it on TV and in movies, even though they're still killing us on TV. Hopefully that's going to change soon, but... I think that, yeah, if she doesn't get a culture, it's okay. It's okay to be like, I don't actually know what this means and have someone explain it because that's how we learn. Hi, Dan. Uh, I'm a 25-year-old straight male from Baltimore and had a question about cunnilingus and kind of my bad gag reflex. I want to get better uh, at giving girls head, but I just try and, I don't know, it doesn't really see it. My gag reflex starts and I just can't do it before it kind of goes off. I don't think it's an odor thing or a taste thing, but something about going down on a woman causes me to feel like I'm going to gag. Um, it's just a matter of like pushing myself to do it more often and like one of those practice makes perfect kind of things, or is there exercises that can do to prevent it? Uh, what do you think? When we talk about oral sex and gagging, it's usually going down on a dude, but here we have a dude going down on women talking about his gag reflex any tips for him as a lesbian about how to conquer your cunnilingus-induced gagging, which I didn't know was a thing? I, so that's a new one to me, actually. I don't hear a lot of lesbians complaining about gagging during cunnilingus. Um, there is, of course, the hazard of hair, which can get caught in your throat. Um, but generally, no, it's not something I, I've heard about. But So I did a little bit of research, and I found out that there is 
a hack you can use to help suppress your gag reflex. And it's really simple. What you do is you make a fist and you put your thumb inside your fist and you squeeze it. And so it acts as a pressure point so that you're basically distracting your throat muscles by using this pressure in another source and it helps to relax um, the muscles of your throat, hmm. which I thought was really interesting. It's something that dentists use because gagging, I mean, in this case, it's got to be psychological, right? Like, if there's not anything physically obstructing your throat, it's got to be something that's just, like, associated with him. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, unless he's dating a lot of women who are, like, marinating pot roasts in their vaginas or something. <laughs> but, but, yeah, you can also, and this doesn't work for everyone. But um, you can also put pressure on um, your wrist where your pulse point is, which also helps if you're um, if you get seasick or emotion sickness. You can push down on your pulse on your wrist, and that's supposed to help with that. Anna Poli, author of the recently released Lesbian Sex Haiku Book with Cats. Check out her advice column in the Chicago Tribune's Red Eye and at AfterEllen.com. Thanks for jumping on the phone today, and it's always great to talk to you. Thank you. Goodbye. Hey, Dan. I'm a a straight male, late 20s. I had moved across the country from Alaska down to South Carolina to be with someone that I had met um, online. And it had started off really, really well. There was talks about marriage, um, having children, moving in together. And as time progressed, she kind of, you know, started wanting more time to herself. And she essentially said I was you know, being community, she wanted, you know, space. And we didn't really uh, see each other as what I thought was too much. Um, you know, we'd see each other Tuesday night and spend Wednesday together um, and Friday night and spend Saturday together. And maybe, you know, a night or two in between, um, we might see one another. And I lived, you know, 45 minutes away from her. So I was constantly driving back and forth. But a couple of weeks ago, she broke up with me. I was going through something and I drunkenly called her and she felt like she was hiding something from me. And I, I got upset about it and I lashed out and she broke up with me. Since then, she doesn't pick up when I call. I, she's blocked me from Facebook, deleted me, um, blocked my number. Um, I've tried doing whatever I can to try to make this right. She's under the impression that, you know, if when I tell her that if I see her only once a week that I'd be okay with it, um, she thinks that that's not true. She says that's not what I need. That's not what I want. How do I make her understand what I that I do want her at her own pace, you know, uh, that I can, you know, respect the boundaries that she had? Um, how do I begin that re-communicating with her? You know, it wasn't a bad relationship at all. I, I I love her with all my heart, and I'm willing to do whatever I can to make it work. And not having her, not being able to hear her voice or even text her, is is hurt. It just hurts my soul. Um, what can I do to turn this around? I hate to be the bearer of bad news, and clearly you're in pain. I can hear it in your voice. You say you want her, but it's clear that she doesn't want you. And there's really nothing that you can do about that. You can't badger her into taking you back. You can't 
insist that she interact with you in some way, that she read your text or take your text or unblock you or anything else. You can't make those kinds of demands on another person because you have feelings for them. Your feelings for this other person don't entitle you to their time or their emotional energy or access to them in any form, physical or virtual. And that's just a sad and heartbreaking fact. That's why people call breakups heartbreaking, right? Because it is heartbreaking. And listen to your voice. I can hear the pain in your voice. I can hear that you're on the verge of tears and I ache for you. I empathize. As does probably 99.99% of the people listening to you and I have this little conversation now because we've all been there. We've all been dumped by someone that we loved with all of our hearts, but through a cruel twist of fate or circumstance or misunderstanding or something, that person doesn't return our feelings for them. They don't feel as strongly about us as we felt about them. And that's just hard and it sucks and it hurts and it makes people cry. And we've all been there. It's a very common experience when you're in it, when you're really in the depths of it, it does feel like you're the only person on earth who's ever suffered in this particular way or to this particular extent. Tell yourself that you aren't the only person who suffered in this way or to this extent, that the world is filled with people who've gone through what you're going through now and come out whole and lovable on the other side and formed new relationships that then they look back at that failed relationship and they think, I'm glad that that didn't work out because look at who I am with now. And you can't really, if you think about it, you can't want to be with someone who is going to want you held at arm's length or is going to hold you with tongs or is going to tell you that they don't want too much of you or don't want too much time with you. Like, how do you work with that? How do you hit that sort of vague bullseye of just the right not amount of time to spend with them? You just have to accept that this relationship is over and it's not about giving her space. She's taken her space back and you're not allowed in her space and that sucks and it's hard and it's hurtful. The only chance that this would ever revive and I don't even want to speculate about this because I don't want to give you false hope is if she reaches out to you. So you can't live the rest of your life in anticipation or in hope that she might call you or take you back or want you back. The ball is entirely in her court. And you just need to, because it's not coming back over the net anytime soon. She hasn't returned that volley. She, you've communicated to her that you would like to still be with her and it has been silence from her and blocking from her. So she is not interested in having you back. And you just have to get the fuck on with your life. Have a huge sad journal. Go to movies. Eat a lot of ice cream. Cry. Buy a bike. Go to the gym. Just plow through it. Lean on your friends. Go back home. To Alaska, if you need people around you who know you, if you need your familiar support systems and familiar places that give you comfort, go home. If you found a new life in South Carolina, if you prefer it to Alaska, then stay. And who knows, maybe in a year or two or three or four or five years' time in South Carolina, as a single young man, you will meet someone else and fall in love and you will look back at this relationship that failed and that hurt you so terribly when it did fail, this rejection that gave you such pain. You will look back on it with gratitude and you will look back on that dumping with gratitude because that relationship brought you to South Carolina and the end of that relationship marooned you in South Carolina where then some years later you met this other person who you are now so happy to be with. 
So live in hope, not for this relationship. It's over. Live in hope for the relationships that are still coming your way. Every relationship, as everyone who's listened to this show has heard me say a million times, every relationship you're ever going to be in is going to fail until one doesn't. This one did. The next one might not. Uh, Hi, Dan. Uh, My name is Mike. I'm calling because, oh, my wife and I have been together now for just shy of 16 years. Two years ago, she uh, discovered that she had messed around with a guy. There had been some oral. They'd kind of done everything but uh, fuck. Um, and that, of course, caused a lot of strife and contention with our relationship. With uh, Something we went to therapy and got things kind of back on track. Um, I discovered here in March, end of March, that she was, she'd run into this guy. They were texting back and forth again. And I asked her to, you know, to stop, you know, like, let's, you know, this is just going to lead back to a, another bad place. And it kind of went on and on. And she told me she wasn't talking to him. I found out that she's still talking to him. Um, she just says it's strictly a desire thing that she just wants to have sex with him. And that's it. Um, and I don't know, I've kind of come around to maybe that's it, but we make some rules. It's a one-time thing. You get it out of your system and we move forward from there question is this a bad idea okay so sorry that your wife cheated on you happy to see that your default wasn't divorce or breakup that it was discussion and coming to some sort of mutual understanding about it and trying to work through it now you're in this place where your wife has kind of issued this ultimatum of sorts you know it kind of came to light we've been you know honestly this last month has been miserable but uh you know i came clean I, after she'd initially cheated on me the first time, I made out with two of her friends on different occasions, not planned. It was a one-time deal. Wait, 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 wait. With two of her friends? Yes. And this was after the affair was exposed? After you found out about her affair, you made out with two of her friends? It was like, uh, one was two years ago and one was about a year ago. It was, you know, not planned, but, you know, regardless, not right. You but know, it was, I, So it was before her affair? No, it was after her affair. How long ago was the affair? It was two years ago in February. Okay. Um, and then so, you know, the summer after that, we were, you know, going to counseling and doing stuff. And it just, it was, you know, the first time it was just, it was with a mutual friend, like family friend, like I'm friends with her, uh, you know, another married woman. We made out and I groped her and then we both like, dude, we're, we are fucking up. And we stopped and I talked to, you know, I didn't tell my wife about it. I talked to, uh, the girl that I was involved with and we we're like, well, you know, I feel horrible. Like we need to say something. And she was like, she was pretty adamant that her husband not find out cause it would be the end of them. Mm-hmm. And as much as it sucked, I kind of agreed with her and just didn't say anything. Cause I mean, we actually, all of us are great friends and have got closer since then. So that I understand the betrayal and hurt on my wife's part in finding out about that. And then the second one was just a, you know, we were at a wedding and it was just, I was making horrible decisions that entire day and doing, you know, drugs that I'd never do. Like you drop some acid and some Coke. And it was like an all night oh, thing. God. I made out with the, the fuck kind yeah. of wedding was that? Is that, is that how Episcopalians yeah. get married? What, whose wedding tradition is acid and coke? Because I want to convert <laughs> to that religion. A, <laughs> that's just an Alaskan wedding for you. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so 
so that, you know, and, and she, she knew something was up and honestly, like I knew I kissed this girl, but towards the end of the night, I was like, I, I kind of, you know, blacked out because there's so much stuff in my system that I'm not used to dealing with. Okay, so wait, I, I'm having a hard time following this. So your wife cheated on you a couple years ago. There have been these other two incidents where you didn't fuck other women but made out with other women and groped other women. That's correct. And you guys are dealing with the fallout from all of this. Well, yeah. So basically after – fast forward again to just the end of this March this year, I found out she'd run into that guy. Um, that she had cheated with before and was talking to him. And so I was like, hey, you know, the last time he was in our world, it led to a whole ball of shit. And it just, you know, it it just imploded. And I'm like, I don't want you talking to this guy. Mm-hmm. And she's like, okay, I won't. And then I found out she, you know, she kept lying to me. She kept talking to him, like, not just a little bit, but like a lot. And so what would be, what would be the harm in letting her talk to this guy? And what would be the harm of letting her fuck this other guy and what would be the harm in her letting you fuck these other women or fuck some other woman to be named later. You know, and that's, that's what we, we talked about doing the whole open marriage thing, you know, but from everything I've researched and, and I've, I, we actually have some mutual friends that are about three or four years into theirs, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, even when that she first cheated on me two years ago, we kind of discussed that, but at the time it seemed like she wanted me to sign off on it just so she could be with the guy. And, and I was just so hurt from all that. I was right. like, you know, maybe, maybe down the road, but right now I feel like okay, well, you want to haul past. Quick, wait, wait, let's look at what to, you guys are talking about wanting to do and what you guys are actually doing. Cause you're both doing okay. the open marriage thing in the context of a monogamous closed marriage and it's creating drama and conflict. You're both, let's listen to your bodies, right? Your bodies are saying, I want to fuck other people and I'm going to. So you, it seems to me that it's not the wife who's issuing a fait accompli ultimatum to you or you to her. It's your libidos and desires and bodies that are issuing them to your marriage. And you're either going to have to end the marriage because you both want to fuck other people and have already started fucking around with other people. Or you're going to have to renegotiate your marriage. It just seems to me like you guys you guys have already opened your marriage. Your wife already opened your marriage. You, with your tongue, in a smaller way, opened your marriage as well. And yeah. so you need to kind of reverse engineer the open agreement or the openness that allows for what you guys are both already doing anyway, even though it's in violation of your commitment to one another. If you redefine your commitment to one another, it might not be in violation of your commitment to one another. And maybe it would be less problematic and less explosive – but what you're opting for is acting like you have an open agreement when you don't and then having the explosions go off because you're violating your marriage as you both committed to it and understand it or renegotiating. Do, do you sense – like yeah. setting all that aside, in the wake of the affair, the last two years since it came out that your wife had fucked this other dude, do you love her less? Do you sense that she loves you less? Are you less committed to each other? When you guys can forget about the drama, do you – still capable of enjoying being with each other, even if it's, and I'm not just talking about sexually. I'm just talking about that day-to-day in and out, not in and out, that day-to-day life (laughs) shit. Do you guys enjoy being together as a couple, as a unit? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I mean like, and and I'm not just, you know, this isn't a cliche. She's my best. Like she literally is my best friend. So look at what, let's look at, let's look at everything that works. Like interpersonally it works. You're comfortable with each other. You enjoy living together. I assume. Do you have kids? Yeah. We have a, a daughter is getting ready to graduate high school. Are you good parents? Yeah. 
great partners with that 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 relay race of parenting where you know somebody's already always got to be like on the game and you're passing that baton back and forth you guys good at that together oh yeah so what i see here is a really good and solid and loving marriage that's perhaps on the rocks or perhaps going to be destroyed because monogamy as an ideal is something that you both value more than you value each other and more than you value potentially your relationship and your marriage. Uh huh. And maybe how long you guys been together? 10, 15 years. We've been married for this year will be 13, but we've been together for 16 years. All right. So ask yourselves, which, which, which would you rather have? She never touches anyone else with her vagina ever again. And you never touch anyone else with your dick ever again. Or you guys sometimes touch other people with your genitals and you have each other. I think the underlying issue right now that we're both battling with is just the lying and the betrayal and the trust. And I know that there's no quick fix. Why are we lying? You're lying because this is not allowed. If this is allowed, then you don't have to lie about it. You might have to figure out how you're going to truth about it, right? Because some people want a don't ask, don't tell arrangement because they don't want it sort of in the front of their minds. Some people want to be able to maintain the appearance of monogamy. They want to be socially monogamous, even if they're not sexually monogamous. And that puts constraints on your behavior and her behavior. So as not to, you know, out yourselves to your children or your neighbors or other family members as an open, open relationship. Uh, so there's lots of different ways to truth about it. But once you don't have to lie to each other about it, then you don't, then you're not lied to. You're not lying anymore. Yeah. The lies right now are in service of the monogamous expectation, commitment, ideal that you guys obviously are moving away from but are still committed to. And so to maintain that, you know, the appearance of monogamous commitment, you know, and, and to maintain the appearance to each other of successfully nailing the monogamy thing, you have – you're forced to lie to each other. And so to say like, you know, the problem is the lying, well, OK, renegotiate your commitment and the lying then goes away. And then you can have a whole conversation where you negotiate how you truth about it to each other, when or whether you want to be told, how you know how to make sure that you're both each other's first priority emotionally and sexually still, even if there are others allowed for. You have all that negotiating yeah. to do, but then you don't have to fucking lie. Yeah, no, I, that that makes perfect sense. I just like I said right now when we've, we're dealing with all this hurt and betrayal and, and stuff, I know she's continually like talking to that other guy, and I'm like, you know, I just wanted that to be put on hold so we can kind of figure out, like you said, renegotiate how we want to move going forward. It just to me, it feels like because I know she's talking, it feels like she's building another relationship with him, and I I don't know where we stand yet. Is is that's I'm having an issue with that. Right, and I, I understand why that would threaten you, and why that would make you feel insecure. Uh, it's difficult and particularly a lot of women will say this about their own experience sexually, you know, it's difficult and risky often for women to have one-off sexual encounters with randos that they're never going to see again. And a lot of women don't feel safe just like jumping into bed with some stranger. So there will be a relationship there, uh, an ongoing sexual sort of even friends with benefits thing is a relationship. So you will, you know, if you do move forward into non-monogamy, have to allow for her having this relationship with this other person. And you in the future may have a relationship with some other person or persons as well. It could be your requirement that there be no relationships 
with other people that you have sex with. But what that says is it's not going to be possible for you to have sex with other people. And that then incentivizes her cheating, continuing to lie or getting out of the marriage. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's all makes sense. And, um, I think for me, because now, you know, the fact that I lied to her never or didn't tell her about these other two women. So now she's suspect of everything else I've done. And I'm like, you know, I get it. Like, I betrayed your trust. But regardless of what I tell her at this point, she doesn't believe anything I tell her as far as like, like, I, I don't have any ongoing well, relationships. Yeah, I, there's no but. Of course, of course yeah, there's she, nobody that's she's just overcompensating because she shit the bed first. And so you you squirted a little bit in the bed and now she's going to jump up and down the mattress and point at your side of the bed and the mess you <laughs> made because her side of the bed is literally covered in a foot of shit because she was having an affair, which is a little different. Yeah. than I got fucked up at a party and made out with somebody briefly on acid and whatever else people do in Alaska <laughs> at weddings, yeah. the, the traditional Alaskan Wedding ceremony, acid and coke and whatever else it was. So I think you just have to allow for, you know, to see through what it is she's doing about freaking out about your – because she's probably been on the rack and the, and the bad guy for two years after, after this affair became known to you. She was in the doghouse and now it's your turn to be in the doghouse and she's going to – she wants to inflate your indiscretions to the same level as her indiscretions blew up to. She just wants you to – Feel as bad as she has felt. And you guys need to put all that aside, put it all behind you, and look toward the future. Are we going to stay together or not? And if we're going to stay together, I'm going to trust and forgive. You're going to trust and forgive. We're not going to have to lie to each other anymore. You would have to allow for her to have not just sex with some other dude, perhaps a relationship with another dude. Your wife might have a boyfriend. She's going to have to allow for you to do similar things to have a relationship with some other woman and your marriage too. look at what you say you want versus what you're doing. You say you want to stay married, right? And yet you've defined the things that you're both doing as not acceptable and marriage extinction level events. And the only way to reconcile these two things is to say these things, if we want to stay married, these things that we're already both of us doing are allowed. Now she's going to have sex with somebody else besides you in the future. Are you going to define that as cheating? If so, then it's going to be cheating. If you define it differently, if you define your marriage differently, it won't be cheating. So there's a way for you to cheat proof your marriage, which is not to endlessly police each other about whether you're touching anyone else's genitals, because obviously that's not going to work. The way to cheat proof your marriage going forward is to have the negotiations about when and how and under what circumstances you are both allowed to have sex with other people without either of you then regarding that sex with others as cheating. That's the only way for it's the only way forward to save your marriage. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Hey, thanks so much, Dan. Thank you too. Good luck. Hey Dan, following up on a, uh, a call from a, uh, the guy who had, who was dealing with getting over a really bad breakup from a really bad relationship. Uh, I just want to say to him, Hey, I was in your position probably about five years ago and I was doing a lot of the same things you were doing, but what was best for me was eventually sitting down to talk with a therapist, uh, not just to to understand myself, but to understand the person that I'd been in a really difficult relationship with, the person who tore me apart emotionally from the inside out was eventually diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. A lot of people don't understand BPD. It's really insidious because you 
can be living with it or with somebody with it for years and living with someone with BPD, you can feel like you're the problem or you're, you need to change something when in reality they've, they've got some things to deal with that you can't always help with. Hello, this is for the guy in episode 497 who was carrying around a whole lot of resentment after his ex-girlfriend kicked him out of his apartment and treated him pretty bad. I was in a similar situation, and what really took me getting out of it was going to group therapy and facing the fact that I was upset for months after a relationship was over because I was angry with myself for letting someone treat me like that. Going forward, I focused on communicating how I expect to be treated in relationships, and it's really helped. Hello, Dan. Long-time listener, big-time fan of your show. Just wanted to leave a comment for the caller with the boyfriend who does not share her first language. I think you really hit the nail on the head when you give your advice on dirty talk. I just wanted to say that I had a boyfriend who was Colombian, and I loved when he talked dirty to me in Spanish. He'd whisper in my ear during sex, and afterwards he would translate what he said to me, and it was just super hot. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Try to keep your questions to under two or three minutes and leave a phone number so we can call you back and have a combo. If you're a listener of the micro edition, the free edition of the Savage Lovecast, please take a look at savagelovecast.com where you will find the subscription-only magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast. It's everything you love about the show with more questions, more guests, and no ads. Go to www.savagelovecast.com for info about subscribing. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Anna Pulley on Twitter at Anna Pulley. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for